Hey, welcome to episode 75 of the Gig Life Podcast. I'm your host, Stevie Taylor. Before we chat to Ada Adams Tamatea, um, I just wanted to let you know that you can subscribe to the Gig Life Podcast. Go to thegigglifepodcast.com, scroll to the bottom of that first page and click on the red button. Pick your favourite podcast app and hit that subscribe button. You can even set it to automatic downloads so all the new episodes get delivered straight to your favourite app. Also, if you dig this episode or any of the others, please share it with a friend or, or on your socials. Help get the word out there. The Gig Life Podcast is free. You don't have to pay anything, ever. But if you find the value in the Gig Life Podcast, you can securely donate. Go to the Gig Life Podcast and click on that donate button. You can give as little or as much as you like. Any donation made will go back into creating the great content for this podcast. Now, if you're into live Facebook shows and you like a good laugh, go check out the catch-up. Not, not the sauce, not the catch-up. Go check out the catch-up. The catch-up is a Facebook live show with just a couple of the bros, a.k.a. Josh Gage and Mr. Lavender, catching up, talking kaka, talking shit, about all sorts of things and get ready to have a laugh. So that features Josh Gage, genuine crack-up follower from Sydney, Ronnie Lavender, the crack-up bro on the Gold Coast, and Gino Hawkins, the bro that does all the tech stuff. The show was streamed live on a Sunday afternoon, um, but all their previous shows are there to watch on the Facebook page. So I'll put a link to the catch-up in the show notes of this episode, so go check that out. Okay, episode 75, Ada Adam Stamatea. Here we go. My guest today is Ada Adams Tamatea. Ada is the bass player for New Zealand band LAB. Born in the Hutt Valley of New Zealand, growing up on the Kapiti Coast, music was always around and bass was always the instrument for Ada. The backyard jams with the Fano, having to learn guitar for the local Kapahaka group because he couldn't work out the actions, to seeing the Eagles' Hell Freezes Over concert and having that epiphany moment that this music thing was what he wanted to do with his life. I moved to Hamilton to study at uni, playing in cover bands, which led him to joining Catch a Fire as full-time bass player and manager, to becoming a DJ, a promoter, and then just wanting to go back and playing bass again, which led him to stints with Magic Polder, 1814, Sons of Zion, Power, the Mali New Zealand All-Stars, and ultimately his home now, his vehicle, LAB. Ada is an incredible musician, a self-confessed music geek, a kind and humble man, and a real mean hang. It's all here, ladies and gentlemen, so please give a big hi to my, a big welcome to Ada Adams Tamatea. Cheers.
I think we're rolling. Welcome to the Gig Life Podcast. Ada Adams Tamatea. How you going, brother? Yeah, I'm good, thank you, bro. Yourself? Yeah, not too bad. Um, Sweet. in Mount Monganui at the moment? I am. Yeah, Papa Moore. Um, Moana. Yeah. I just want to congratulate you guys on the massive summer that you've had, LAB. Um, looks like, yeah, looks like you guys are just killing it, man. And it's also really great to Thank see you, that the that the the new Aussie tour that you've got coming up is basically sold out as well. Um, yeah, heaps, yeah, it's pretty nice. Heaps of the bro, heaps of the bros are bummed out. They missed out, man. <laughs> yeah, too slow. Yeah, too yeah, slow. yeah. It, yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty surreal to to hear how um how all our fun over there and Oz have yeah taken to us. So yes. Really humble, bro. Yeah, it's going to be good. Um, yeah, we got our tickets to Sydney, so we'll be there again. Um, cool. See you in yeah, the green room so, again. Yeah, bro. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I'll just tell the listeners that we we met last year in October when um, LAB came to Sydney. Um, hung out and had a bit of a chat, and um, I remember saying to you, "Oh, bro, you you be keen on coming on the podcast?" And you're like, "Oh, bro, if you think it'll be interesting." <laughs> of course, yep. it'll be. I'm still oh, course, wondering bro. whether you know if anyone would think this is interesting, but yeah, nah, we'll come see. on, bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nah, awesome. All right, bro. So, um, yeah, we just talked a bit about the 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 massive LAB summer, and that's off the back of um the new album LAB three, which was released mm-hmm. um December 2019. That's the one, yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, done your facts, got your homework done, mate. Yeah, <laughs> I've got to make make it sound like I know what I'm talking about, eh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So before we talk a little bit more about um, how that sort of all that touring and stuff went down, um, mm-hmm. what we usually do is roll it right back to the beginning, bro. How it all started for you, and a um, little bit of yeah, your upbringing and how all the music came into things, and so we'll do that. Cool. Now. Cool. So, bro, right. you, you, yep. you're Ask you're away. from you're from Upper Hutt in the Wellington area. Yeah, born born in Upper Hutt. Um, spent a lot of time. I was raised in the Wellington region as a whole. Uh, spent a lot of my time out on the Kapiti Coast, Paraparomu. Uh, yeah, and then decided that when I um, got to the end of college, that I wanted to get as far away from that place as, as I could, just you know, to find <laughs> my own feet, and uh, found myself in Hamilton. So, yeah. So back in Wellington um, or, or Kapiti Coast, um, mm-hmm. when when did music start? Was music in the family? Yeah, I like um, yeah, it would have been from all the garage parties basically that um, that I remember fondly as a kid. I, I used to love that that whole scene of um, you know all the uncles, all the aunties, my dad on guitar. Uh, or any, everyone on guitar, but I, I specifically remember seeing my dad on the guitar a lot. And, um, yeah, just, just the happiness. Obviously, everyone was drinking, everyone was having a great time, but um, that was kind of my, my first um, introduction, I suppose, to, to playing live was, was that garage scene and hearing songs that that I, I never heard on the radio until years or decades later, eh? Um, but first hearing them in the garage. So what what sort of stuff? Oh, mate. Uh, oh the man, you know, um <laughs> stuff like Candida by Thorn, uh, uh, a lot yeah. of country stuff actually. Um just what was what was ever popular at the time. 
And, um, oh, man, I remember, remember them singing Mark Williams, Guess It Doesn't Matter Anymore remake that he did. Um, yeah, Dawn Knock Three Times. Um, obviously, <laughs> 10 Guitars. You know, just that whole feel-good, happy vibes. Uh, lots of Maldives in the garage singing yep. at the top of their lungs. And, yeah. Yep. Yeah, that would be my harmony. first memory of, yeah, yep. bro, harmonies. And, yeah, it was always, um, I mean, I always had a positive experience with that, with that, those vibes uh, I never saw anything bad or anything negative so that was um, yeah it was just awesome that's massive so were you playing guitar or was it straight into bass straight away I always wanted to play bass bro um, okay f- from like the age of eight um, there was there were three main reasons that I put down to that um, Ryan Munga from Adija was probably one oh, of yeah. the biggest reasons why um, when I heard um, him slap the bass, you know, watching you yep. and um, yeah, I've had many conversations with Ryan about this, but but and then there was a song called uh, Lies by Jonathan Butler, and just the sound of that slapping bass again. And Lisa Lisa and Cold Jam did a song called Lost in Emotion, and it just just had the had the slap funk sound, and I was like, man, whatever that is, that that's <laughs> my calling. And yep. um, of course, no one at that time. Had basses that you know they barely had six strings on guitars back then, uh, right. so the guitar was the only instrument that I could kind of get my hands on. But um, I knew at an early age that I wanted to play bass. I just couldn't get my hands on one until I was about twenty years old, to be honest. So um, yeah, so I learned the guitar app by default because I wanted to learn yep. something. Yeah. yeah, were you just picking out the four strings on a guitar and and trying to work out bass lines? Initially. Um, but oh, I, I, even though I knew that I was going to play bass, when I picked up the guitar, I was actually, you know, strumming away and, and learning to play. And, and then um, at college, uh, I was part of the Kapaka group. And because I was too lazy to learn actions for the action songs <laughs> and stuff, I just picked up the guitar and wanted to play the guitar for Kapaka. And yep. so um, so that that was my my job, I suppose, um, back in college days in Kapaka. I was playing the guitar, and and I took that real seriously. Eh? Like, I just knew that it was. I, I must have known. I didn't know at the time, but looking back, I must have known that. Um, yeah, this is what I really wanted to do, and yeah, I threw everything into making sure I was, you know, as good as I could, as I can be. So, yep. yeah, I didn't actually start learning to play the bass though on the guitar. I just knew that's what I wanted to do. So, okay. does it make sense? Yeah. yeah, it does totally. Um, so once it was time to learn the bass, did you seek out some teachers or are you all self taught? <laughs> no, pretty much like I knew, um, by playing the chords and stuff to a whole yep. bunch of you know garage parties myself and, and kapaka that I knew where the notes were on the bass. Um, so when I did get my bass, I ended up making three tapes. Through, you know, back in the days of tapes where you could, you know, record your own blank tapes and <laughs> yep. made um, three albums or, you know, mixtapes of just songs that I wanted to learn on bass and just try to, you know, um, learn it by ear. Um, yeah, and I didn't even have an amp. I just had a tape deck with headphones with a big coily bloody, you know, lead from yeah, your yeah. Um, yeah. headphones that went into the tape deck. <laughs> and and I sat there, man, I, I, I spent a minimum of six to eight hours a day um, or and, and more, but, you know, minimum of, yeah, a long time sitting at that tape deck just listening to the bass notes and then trying to find them and realising the patterns and, yeah, that's how I did it. 
did you when was it when did you first start playing in bands? Yeah, about six months after I got my first bass. <laughs> yeah, I threw myself into it. I, like the whole, I was at university at the time, and I don't know how I passed to be honest, because I was just so engrossed with um, with learning this instrument. Um, and it was about six months later after getting my first bass, which was a three hundred dollar P bass copy from Cash Converters. Um, yeah, that I joined. Um, yeah, a band and. And then that whole um, the dy- dynamics that come along with being in that um, was something new to me again because being a kapaka guitarist, you are the entire band when you play. Whereas, you know, when you're a bass player, obviously you've got your role, you've got your part, and everyone else has got theirs. So it was it was cool. It was everything that I was I was looking for to, to learn. And, yeah, I was just grateful to those early guys that put up with me overplaying and <laughs> all that kind of stuff. Did you ever have the idea in your head that music is what you wanted to do for a living? Did you ever have yeah, that dream? Yeah, there was a, there was yep. a poignant moment. Um, it was the 25th of November. It was 1996. I went to Western oh, you got Springs a, you got to a watch. Date. You got a date and everything. Yep. Far out. It's, oh. it's burned into my, into my head, mate. It was um, oh, awesome. the day when the Eagles Health Reaches Over tour came to New Zealand. I was at Western Springs, um, my favourite brand of all time. Um, and yeah, just went to it and it was just like, it was that, that moment of clarity that, you know, that I just knew from then it was like, ah, that's it. I was second year at university, so I still had to fumble through a third year to, in order to pass. Um, but it was actually from that moment on that I realized this, this, that's what I've seen and what I've experienced and what I felt was, it was the very thing that I've, I've been chasing ever since. So oh, yeah, man, that's massive. Yeah, and you you got to see the Eagles again not too long ago, eh? Yeah, I saw them. Yeah. I saw them uh, three times in total now. So um, there was another um, gig that they did at uh, Mount Smart here in New Zealand. Um, that's yep. when Glenn Fry was still alive, and then oh, right, when okay. they returned with Vince Gill and Deacon Fry um, playing in place of Glenn. Uh, so yeah, saw him at um, the arena here in Auckland and. Yeah, front row seats to that. Don't know how I scored those seats. Just luck of the draw, and yeah, man, that's yeah. I just I didn't know how to put into words the the feelings when I go to live shows, um, and especially yeah. one as important to my career as as seeing the Eagles. So, what was that like to to go that third time after um, Glenn Fry had died, seeing his son there? Yes, and, and it was, was awesome. Like? It was. Yeah, it was it was really good. Um, I, I remember they came out to Seven Bridges Road, which if you know the song, it's just like, wow, you know, we were just all blown away. And then they gave um, Deacon the first, the next song. So that, they didn't kind of like warm him into it. They just chucked him straight into the next song with Take It Easy. And that, that you know, I was just like, wow, man, this kid's, this kid's something special to, to be able to do that, you know. And, and he's got all these legends surrounding him on stage and this guy's I think he's in his 20s maybe early 30s but to be able to just be as comfortable as he was on stage and deliver was pretty incredible um but Vince Gill too Vince Gill man he was what a voice I I, I knew yeah I I didn't know his material like I know that he's a country star and just said oh okay you know country cool but man he, he absolutely blew me away that night um yeah, hell of a guitarist and hell of a hell of a singer and entertainer too. 
he was he just yeah he had everyone in the palm of his hand. So yeah, it was awesome yeah. that, that third show. Yeah, that's cool. All right, so back to that coming home from that first Eagle show, having mm-hmm. that moment. Yeah. Yeah. So what was going? I don't know if you remember exactly what's going through your head, but what did you do as soon as you got back to make I, this your <laughs> career? Um, it, I was obsessed, to be honest. Um, uh, you could probably, yeah, you probably want to call it low-key obsessed. Um, <laughs> I just um, lived and breathed it. Um, by that, what do I mean? I mean, um, I would replay that Hell Freezes Over concert every night for I don't know how many months. Maybe even been over a year. I played that Hell Freezes Over concert that I had on video VHS. Yeah. Um, I would. I learned every single baseline, every single note, every single thing. I just, you know, when you used to look at the old record covers and you used to study yeah, the, those things. That's what I did, but with a VHS concert. And as a little kid, actually, I did that with Eagles albums as well. Just, I don't know, I was just drawn into it and. And it just kind of, um, yeah, I'd just be obsessed, which is kind of a weird thing to say, but, you know, that's how badly I wanted it and um, and how much of an impact it had on me. So, What other music were you listening to? Were you listening to any other music or was that it? Yeah, no, no. When I when I first started playing bass, you're talking about, or just no, general no, growing No, no, around that whole Eagles obsession thing. Ah, were you, were you letting yeah. anything else a, in, or was that it? <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. I'm, I'm an, I'm a '90s kid, man. So I mean, yeah, R and B awesome. and hip hop. So that the whole, you know, Tupac was blown up. Do- um, Snoop just came out with Doggy Style, you know, not so long before. Yep. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, when it comes to '90s hip hop and then all that golden era of hip hop, that was man. I was full into that. Uh, D'Angelo, the whole neo soul when they took off. Erica Badu, D'Angelo, Maxwell. Um, Eric Benet, I was besotted with that too, man. Um, Eagles was one of those things that that took me back to a time of my dad and you know those garage parties I talked about. Yeah. So all of those singing in the song stuff. Whereas me as a twenty, well, twenty whatever old I was back in the nineties, um, I was very much into the music of that time. Yeah. As well, so, yeah, a lot of hip hop, R and B. Yeah. Mm, that's cool. Now. Um, I noticed you're into a little bit of that um, that that uh, West Coast, American West Coast oh, stuff, yeah. like the Michael McDonald, and I, I saw a clip that you oh. put up with Michael McDonald, and um, damn, I'm a massive oh yeah West Coast yeah yeah fan. My, yeah. I just I'm obsessed with that stuff. That's the kind of stuff I was obsessed over when I was coming through. You know, like Michael McDonald and Steely Dan, Toto, and all that sort of oh. stuff. Yeah, so you would have a great time with Joel, wouldn't you? Yeah, <laughs> oh, and Brad. Yeah, Brad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he loves that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, man. Um I, I used to I used to sit just at the radio as a kid, you know, all through the eighties and and you know, CD players came out in the nineties, but man, in the eighties I would sit at the radio without even realizing that's what I was doing. And I would just listen to hours and hours of music. I mean, every Saturday at six PM without fail. Ready to roll was on RTR countdown and seeing that countdown and that was like that was the thirty minute program that I would wait all week for more than the A team more than MacGyver more than you know, <laughs> Night you know Rider Hazard and, yeah. yeah Night Rider you, yeah, every, yeah, yeah all of that I mean the the number one program was six, Saturday six pm RTR I was um I was just uh, I, bro 
when <laughs> this might be a little bit embarrassing, but I, I remember like <laughs> not going to sleep for hours when I should be asleep when I was a little kid. And I put the radio on um, and headphones and stuff. And all I do is just listen to the radio. And back in those days, there was the love songs till midnight or love songs at midnight bloody yep. radio show when they played all the slow jams and stuff. And I'd sit there for, or lie in bed for hours <laughs> you know, just listening to, to slow jams. And so what was ever whatever was on the radio was um was getting soaked in. So yeah, that included all that whole Michael McDonald, Toto and every, yeah, awesome. all the radio huge artists of of that era. Wicked man. Try okay, try not start. to waffle on there. No, no, it's, <laughs> it's what we're here for, bro. <laughs> um all right, let's talk about some more bands. Um when did you start? Or can you can you Remember your first paid gig? Ooh, paid gig. Uh, I would have been in the covers band. Um, I don't remember the gig itself, um, but I do remember when I left that Eagles concert, all I, all I, the first goal of that whole, um, since once I left that concert, was I wanted to be a professional musician. Mm-hmm. And by that, I just wanted to get paid or be able to make a living off music for just just a tiny bit of time. Like I, w- I would have been happy if it lasted only three months, but I just it was just something that I was um, striving for. And so when I got my first paying gig, it was like the first step towards that that mm. goal of mm. being able to make say, hey, look, for three months of my life or whatever time of my life, I was able to say that I use music as a way to support myself. Yep. So it was, um, it was definitely a stepping stone um, towards that. So I don't remember the gig, but I do remember thinking, oh, yep, this is the the evolution of that dream, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So by by that stage, you're up in Hamilton. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. No, I was living in Hamilton. I was at Waikato Uni when I went to the um, Eagles concert. So, yeah. Okay. What was the, what was the, the scene like? the covers band scene in Hamilton around that oh, time? Oh, man. Great question. Um, man, back in those days, there was a couple of bands that I just used to follow all the time. Solitaire um, mm-hmm. was a big Hamilton covers band, and wherever they went, you know, they just crowds would pack out the pubs. Um, and back in the early 90s when I was at Waikato Uni, um, there was a venue called the Hillcrest Tavern, which I'm pretty sure at the time um, was the biggest pub in New Zealand it was mm-hmm. like it was slammed like door to door, two thousand people. This place is huge, mm-hmm. and Solitaire would just play there, you know, on any given kind of weekend. Um, and that was that was the the place. If you lived in Hamilton, everyone drank at the Hilly. Um, mm-hmm. It was just the hub of all kind of nightlife activity. And then when it closed, then everyone went into town. But everyone all started at at the Hilly. Um, so Solitaire, to answer your question, Solitaire, Nonoa, mm. the Nonoa band, which is a family band. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a side note, um, uh, shit, Lloyd Nonoa, he was the lead singer of that band and he actually um, jammed with Toto in Japan. So there you go. Is that right? Um, oh. Yeah, yeah. He was, uh, unfortunately, he died way too early. Um, right. Not sure why, but an amazing band, amazing, just they were amazing musicians, man. Like I was exposed to these dudes who were just, shredding and just killer chops grew mm. for days and I was just like man if I want to play on that level I was like I was like man I'm nothing I'm just at this level and they're at that level you know so yeah. um 
it, it definitely, um, yeah, lit a fire in me as well to go, okay, that that's the level that you need to play at if I want to achieve what I wanted to achieve, which was that, um, you know, living off music. So, yeah, yeah. it was it was um, it was real important that I got to see that caliber of musicianship and and practice my ass off for years to try mm. and get anywhere close to that. Mm. Yeah. So those yep. two bands especially, though. Yeah. So with your going back to the practicing again, um, mm-hmm. has it always been putting on the song and trying to work the song out yourself or was there ever anyone that sat you down and went, oh, these are scales, progressions, that kind of stuff? <laughs> or is that stuff you've always worked uh, out yourself? No, it's pretty much been um, – if there was a song I wanted to learn, um, then you have to just find the song, you know, yep. and slow it down or whatever you got to do to learn it. Um, however, there back in the 90s, you know, no YouTube back in those days, and I was hungry for any information that I could get. So <clears throat> Starlux videos, Hotlix videos, they were like 100 bucks each, and if you ordered it, it would take like six weeks on a ship. To get to New Zealand. <laughs> um, so it was, um, yeah, that was, there weren't, there weren't many ways to, to get a hold of that scales and stuff. But um, Bass Player Magazine was um, was probably one of the biggest because there's bugger all um, stuff on bass or specifically the bass. You know, we were always the, the, the poor cousin of the guitarist. We had like 15 magazines all for themselves. And so when I found out <laughs> Bass Player um, that would come out monthly. Yeah. And when it did, so I subscribed to that at the local, this is in the magazine stores. Remember magazine stores? Yeah, man. Wow, going back in the day. And those, um, those, other, yeah, th- so, those, other, those other places, uh, re- record. what are they called, record stores? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep, man, all of that. So I had my own um, subscription at the at the magazine shop. And, um, man, when, when that came out every month, I would read that cover to cover, like in one day, sorry, and um, just like album covers, I would study that that um, that magazine, and that had stuff like scales in it, and yep. <clears throat> different styles, and and even though it was all reading, and I can't read, yep. um, you you kind of figure it out, you know, um, yep. and so that's how much I was into just getting my hands on anything. Yeah. So, what was the next step? Towards pursuing it, like you've, you know, you've you've been studying your ass off all these magazines and listening to the CDs, yeah. Going to the concerts and yep. following these bands around. Um, were the bands oh, yeah. that you you were knocking around with at the time? Did you have plans for those bands? Um, oh man, yeah. What, I was, what was probably, next? yeah. I was like just like any any musician. Um, you go from band to band and you hope that each step, every time you go to that new band, it's the band that you've been, you know, you've been waiting for to kind of kick, yeah. kick you off. And um, so I was in a, I'd been in a bunch of bands that had just got nowhere or mm-hmm. very rarely got gigs. And and I would, and I was a real geek, man. I, I'm still a geek, but a, um, a music geek. Um, but I would study and you know and, and be so super prepared for just the most kind of normal covers gig. Um, yep. But that's because I wanted that band to be successful and, and be the one that I was looking for. Mm-hmm. It just so happened that um, 
like after going through years and years of of failed band startups or someone looking for a bass player, so you jump in and have a try and realize, oh man, these guys, <laughs> this ain't gonna work out. Um, so years and years of that happened, and I, I used to work at Working Income, which is I don't know what you guys call that over there, Nazi um, Centrelink, I think it is. Oh yeah, like yeah. Yep. You know, the Sends doll and stuff, I'm just putting my power adapter in my laptop. Yeah, all good. Last thing we need is my laptop cutting out. Um, yeah, so <laughs> I used to work there and that was just the, the nine to five. And, you know, that was just what I had to do to, to make a living. And um, there was a mutual guy, uh, mutual friend there. So um, I was workmates with a guy. He happened to be mates with this band. Um and so they said they needed a bass player. So like every other time in my life, I was like, you know, hoping it's the one. Um, that band ended up being Catch a Fire. Um, oh, hey. So, yeah. Um, and <laughs> and I, I remember going to their first lot of shows and the lineup was completely different to what we recognize Catch a Fire as today. Um, mm-hmm. But I was like, oh, my God, what a, <laughs> what is this band? Um mm-hmm. So, yeah, it, it went through a number of, of personnel changes behind the scenes. And, um, yeah, you never know. You just, you just never know. Because at the time when I heard them, I'm like, uh, no, nah, this, but I'll give it a go, you know, you know. Um, and, yeah, I mean, how, how lucky I was to be in the right place at the right time and just know the right person. Because I didn't know the boys. I didn't know the band at all. Mm-hmm. Um, it just happened to have a mutual friend who introduced me to them and, well, you know, the rest is kind of history with from there. So, mm. yeah. I mean, we can go into that further, but I'll let you ask yeah, if bro. you want to know that stuff because it can go yeah, no, a no, bit de- Yeah, def- definitely <laughs> let's go into that because, like, like you said, that's a that's a big, um, massive part of your story. Um, yeah. Um, so, yeah, man. So that this was – you – you joined early 2000s, is that right? 2001, is that right? Yeah, yeah, be around that. It's, it's kind of weird because when I first started jamming with, with the bros, I maybe jammed with them for six to months or something like that. And I don't even know if we did any gigs. But long story short, I do remember there being a time where I went, oh, this, ain't, this band ain't going to go anywhere. So I left. I left that, that band like 2000 or 2001. Mm. Um. And then I was playing in this jazz band in this restaurant and I had my eyes closed like I normally do because I'm pretending I'm playing at Wembley or who knows what I was dreaming of. Um, and Logan, who's the lead singer of the band now, yeah. was in front of me. And he just said, um, you know, and I, I remember that. I remember that. And I think it's, he said something like, oh, look, oh, oh, I don't know what, what happened, but I do remember that that moment. And then not long after that, I got pulled in because they had a gig, but they didn't have a bass player for this one gig. They did have a bass player, but not not for that gig. Mm. And so I went back to do a, a little rehearsal with them, you know, for this gig that they had because, man, I was all about getting the gigs. And, um, yeah, I, I remember that, that, that first hit out that we had and we went through like 40 or 50 Bob Marley songs and, and UB40 songs and Peter Tosh songs mm. um, in like just a matter of hours. Like we would just do, okay, what's the intro? What's the verse, chorus, outro or bridge, outro, sweet, next one. And I was on a real roll thinking, holy shit, I, I, I somehow know all of these songs 
Remember mm. I was talking about the radio just kind of ingrained? Yeah, bro, so yeah. I didn't, I didn't even realize how much reggae that I actually knew or how much information I retained. Um, so they wanted to have a break and I was like, nah, 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 bro. Because <laughs> I was in a tense as dude <laughs> back then. Um, let's keep smashing out these songs for this gig. To, and, you know, me being a real music geek, I wanted to be the best prepared as what I could be. And it was actually from that point on that um, the other bass player never came back. Uh, his right. name was Shocker, a uh, cool mm-hmm. guy. Um, and then I was – that's when I came back to Catch a Fire full-time. Mm-hmm. So there was that little time period there that I wasn't in the band. And then, um, yeah, so – I kind of went from wanting to be in a band like Solitaire playing covers to all these um, packed out pubs because that's all I saw to somehow finding myself in Catch a Fire and um, going down that route instead um, of originals, which um, I thought was beyond my capability, to be honest. I just thought that, oh, man, you know, that's a dream, but n- not not an attainable dream. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I'm going to kind of – Going off track a bit, but that's how I, I that's how my early days with Catch a Fire started. So mm. I'll try and stop it mm. there unless you wanna know more. Um yeah, well so tell us when that first sort of break came for Catch a Fire. Oh, that, that's an easy one. There was a a um what do you call it? Like a what we would call now like an idol contest. I don't know what we call it, a talent quest or some shit. Yeah, some, yep. something like that. So there was one at a, at a venue called Sheepies in Papakura, and it was put on by Dawn Raid. Uh, they had a series of heats, I think, and um, the winner of each heat then went into the final. Then the final, uh, whoever won the final, got to win two recordings with Dawn Raid Studios. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we went up there. I have no idea what two songs we done for the heat. We took out the heat, which is like, wow, this is buzzy because no one's really listening to reggae. It was all... Hard, you know, it was all hip hop at the time. So Scribe, P Money, you know, um, New Zealand hip hop was taken off. It was it was a mean time to be in in hip hop, and I'm a fan of hip hop. Um, mm. So I was surprised that this reggae band from Hamilton, you know, we're in mm. we're in South Auckland, mm. but this band from reggae band from Hamilton took out this heat. The following week was the final. Somehow we won that, and so we won um, two recordings with Dawn Raid. So. We went back up to Dawn Raid. Um, I don't know how long how long after, but we went up to Dawn Raid and we re- uh, recorded two songs. One of them was called Giddy Up and the other one was called Bounce. Mm-hmm. And then we was we had a record contract with Dawn Raid. Um, after that, I don't know. I can't remember too much. It's a bit hazy at that time, but um, we never signed with Dawn Raid because we got this other contract by Mai. So the people that own Mai FM. This mm-hmm. is, yeah, so this is when it was Iwi owned and they were the number one kind of R&B and urban uh, station and, and had a lot of influence with the Iwi stations back then. Mm-hmm. And um, so we ended up signing with them. And I don't know how they heard Giddy Up, but it was on on the back of Giddy Up that they signed us. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, yeah, that that's kind of, um, yeah, that's what happened. And it was all kind of surreal and how it happened, but it happened. Couldn't really plan it. Um, you know, you couldn't plan it like that. It was just, right. just a weird series of events that um, um, led us to that, that, that time. Mm. Yeah. From that point of 
of signing with my. Did mm-hmm. you go in and do some more recording? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the next song we recorded, or the next single anyway, was Who You With. Um, oh, we must have gone straight into doing the album, actually. And a lot of that was done at the Polytech. Uh, sorry, Hamilton, Waikato Polytech. Um, mm. Just because that was local. Um, oh, a lot of it was actually done at Logan's apartment or Logan and Geordie's um, apartment in town. So they invested in a little Pro Tools setup, Digi001. Uh, which yep. just seemed like the most amazing thing on earth yeah. at the time. <laughs> <clears throat> now there's more power in the iPhone than back in yeah. those um, computers. So. But yeah, so um, a lot of pre-production was done there, and, and Logan and Jordan because you know they had they were living in their own apartment and, and had those gears were, were just living and breathing, um, recording, and yeah. So between stuff that they'd done at home, you know, and and studio work were able to get that first album done. And was it touring straight after that? Like when, once that, oh, once, that album rele- once that album released, what happened? Yeah, we we were we were touring or well, not touring. We we in, in the midst of all of that happening, we were remember how I said we were playing like um four hours or, or learning forty yep. to fifty UB forty. Yep. So we were doing that every Friday or every Saturday, at least once a week. So I finally mm-hmm. got my my plate full. My cup was full with with playing these gigs every week, and you know mm-hmm. we were playing these four hour cover gigs, and they were just just covers, strictly just covers, because no one knew us. We were just the covers band, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, man, they were fun. That was it was awesome. And then once we kind of won that competition and started recording, then we'd um, put our songs in the set without people kind of realizing that they were originals, just to mm-hmm. you know gauge and see how how the reaction was to it. Um, but once my put it on uh, my FM, obviously, all the Iwi stations also picked it up because they had a lot of influence with them. And so it was just a natural progression. Even though we were still playing four-hour covers gigs, we were now playing four, four-hour gigs, mostly made up of covers, but then made up uh, with the 12 or 13 songs that we had on the first album as well. So mm-hmm. it wasn't... Yeah, just touring the album, uh, touring the album as such. It was just doing four-hour gigs, which included the album. Right, so, yeah. right. Uh, you stayed with the band until two thousand seven. Yeah, you done some homework. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, in between two thousand one, two thousand seven, how mm-hmm. many gigs you reckon you did? How often were you playing? <laughs> um, when did when? When did the when did the big tours kick off? Oh, it's, it's, it's really hard to. There was no fine line drawn between the covers gigs and and the originals gigs. Um, it wasn't so much big tours that was happening. What what happened was we were going on more so the big festivals okay. like Sound Splash, like yep. Parihaka, um, to name a few, and uh, a rhythm invite. Oh, big day out. We done big day out. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we've done Rhythm and Vines. Um, so, yeah, it was – it was, but we carried on doing the, those kind of th- four-hour shows pretty much through to when I finished up in 2007. Um, yeah, obviously we had more original material because we had two albums out by the time I left. Yep. And I was also there for um, some of the third album as well, so the boys had written stuff. So we'd, we'd trial some of the third album songs too at the gigs 
up until I departed in 2007. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we we never toured New Zealand like in the traditional sense. It was always yeah. those kind of four-hour gigs, and that's what we prided ourselves on. Right. Um, yeah, working hard and, and giving over-delivering mm-hmm. the, the product. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, that's cool. That, that was just the way we d- we decided to do things. Yeah, and you took on the manager's role. Oh God! Yep, yep. <laughs> you remember me you telling you I was? Ah, uh, <laughs> no, no, no. It was just remember how I said I was like, you know, super intense and and being a real yep. geek. Yep. Of um, yeah. So I would, I w- I just wanted to just throw myself as much as I could into it, and um, yeah. So I took on the management role of Catch a Fire through oh, pretty much from two thousand and two. Um, yeah. Asked my missus at the time. Well, she's still my missus too, by the way. Yeah, gotcha. <laughs> to my left, so I just got to. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, <clears throat> yeah, she took a leap of faith and and said, "Okay, you can, you know, leave work." Um, basically, because I was going to get fired anyway. Right. <clears throat> we put a phone line in, and um, yeah, and the rest was history. I started making calls to to pubs and venues, and yeah, it kind of happened where. I was putting, you know, paying the wages or, you know, looking after the money and, yeah, finding the gigs and, and stuff like that. Um, the reason why I kind of went, oh, God, with the management is I was probably too OCD on it. And if I'm being honest, it was the reason why I had to end up leaving Catch a Fire. Okay. Um, because it was – I didn't know how to – like, because it was new – this whole musical journey was new to everyone in the band. And so I wanted it to be successful as much as I can or as much as I could see it. Um, but, of course, there's creative differences with people. And um, Yeah, how do I say this? When you're the manager of your, of, of your friends, you end up becoming like the guy that's always telling them, you know, what time to get up, what time to hop in the van, you know, we're doing this and we're doing that. Mm. And, I, and I think – that just wore away on them, and, and it definitely had its toll on me, telling my 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 mates what to do all the time. So our friendships really got worn down to nothing, <laughs> where they were hating me and I was hating them, um, which is a shame because I never left the band because I couldn't play bass. I left the band because I didn't know how to balance. Well, really, I should have just not managed the band from a certain time, but um, I couldn't see that at that time, so... The only way I could get my happiness back, I felt, was to leave the band. So, yeah, mm. man, that went a bit dark and a bit dreary. No, <laughs> sorry about that. No, no, nah, man, it's part, it's part of your story, you know. I, I think it's cool to talk about it as long as you're comfortable talking about it, bro. No, nah, I'm all good. No, nah, I'm all good. Oh, sweet. I, I'm in constant contact with the boys. I'm, I mean, yeah. So everything's all good now. Time heals. Um, yeah, that's, <laughs> and um, so yeah, so we're all mates, and I realise now the the what I did wasn't um, the best thing I could have done. But I was young, I was learning, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know, how to handle um, different things, and yeah, I just didn't do it. Yeah, I just had to leave, unfortunately, to to kind of learn those lessons. So. Yeah, but yep. all is good now, obviously. Oh, that's that's good. Um, okay, so once. That sort of ended up. Did you take yourself away from music, break away from it, or did you just get straight back into something else? 
Nah, it was just, nah, I, I've been um, stayed in the music industry. So as soon as I left the band, I thought, because I was managing the band, obviously, as well as playing, I thought when I gave, you know, when I chucked everything in, that um, all my connections with Catch a Fire would have also been cut. Okay. Um, I've been so fortunate that the boys kept me on in another role in the background. Um, so so they basically were, were paying me a wage, um, even though I wasn't playing in the band. I was doing some other managerial stuff for them, and mm-hmm. still to this day, yeah. um, I, I do that for them. So, you know, man, I owe them, I owe Catch a Fire a crap load for getting me through um, financially through those tough times. Oh, um, what else did I do? I helped. <laughs> Here's a, a weird little thing. Um, I ended up helping Michelle Quarter for a few months um, with their band, Quarter, who were blowing up. No, right. Obviously, never realizing that years' time, Brad and Stu and I would be in a band together. <laughs> yeah. um, that didn't last long. I, I, walked, I needed to get away from that for the same reason that I needed to get away from Catch a Fire. I didn't want to be in a position where I'm mates with my bros but then I'm telling them what to do. So once I realized, ah, oh, shit, I, you know, this is history repeating itself, I um, had to quickly leave that. So I just did a whole bunch of roles in music. Pro. I, I, I was DJing, so get resident, we had a resident DJ gig, so I was DJing every weekend. Um, what else was I doing? I was a booking agent for a bunch of bands, so I did some tours and gigs for Open Souls, House of Shem, Cornerstone Roots, Unity Pacific, um, oh, what? Oh, then I, oh, shit, you might not know this, but um, uh, I ended up being a promoter and brought over a band called Kolohe Kai to New Zealand and Rebel Soldiers. So I was the first one to tour them, and yeah, I was kind of just bouncing around in a whole bunch of different roles, but they were all within the music industry. I've, I, I haven't had a job, you know, like like a one that supports my family. Uh, outside the music industry since 2002. So right. I've been super blessed to Congratulations. still That's be massive. here. Yeah, it's it's crazy. I mean, remember, I only wanted to do this for three months. You know, I would have been yeah, happy yeah, for yeah. three months. Yeah. And um, <laughs> and now we're going on 18 years and, and knock on wood that it, you know, carries on a bit longer. Yeah, mm. um, yeah you also uh, played a bit with 1814, Sons of Zion. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. Just on Sons of Zion, Harlem McKenzie, you were playing with, mm-hmm. with Harlem in the band? Yeah, yeah, with Harlem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, Harlem's from Masterton. And um, oh, is he, he was, yeah, he was, he was, we didn't know each other um, in Masterton, but he, I used to go to Makota College and um, I I was in a band that was in the Smoke Free Rock Quest. And yeah, yeah. Harlem used to go to um, Wairapa College. And he was in a band right. at the Rock Quest. And um, we both our bands got through to regionals and, and played the, the, I think it was the regional finals at uh, the State Theatre in Wellington. And I got the video yeah, somewhere, yeah. eh? And like, man, he was a real prodigy back then, eh? Just like, I mean, he's an incredible guitarist now. But, you know, just back then, uh, yeah, he, he, was, he was killing it, man. Yeah, oh man, he's such a good guy too. Like, yeah, like he's yep. such a cool guy to hang out with on the road. As you say, killer guitarist and just killer, killer muso. So, yeah, yeah. I don't know who was from down those ways, though. Um, now, what were you doing when 
the LAB gig came along. How did that come about? Um, uh, yep. Remember how I said, um, <laughs> this is kind of history repeating itself all over again. But um, so there was a moment, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back just a little bit further to give it some cool. context. Um, in 2012, um, I realized I'd been doing this whole booking agent and promoter and DJ and just all these other roles. Um, and then I realized in June of 2012, ah, oh, I get it. I get it now. All I want to do is play. So then all of a sudden I realized what I wanted to do because I was kind of doing a whole bunch of roles, not really like I was convincing myself that's what I wanted to do, but really I was just lying to myself. Um, so I had one of those kind of moments where I realized, ah, uh, you need to get back and on playing bass and, and get back on stage. So from that point on in 2012, I basically just um, was became obsessed again with mm-hmm. wanting to get my chops up and yeah. and surround myself with people and who might give me opportunities and stuff. So um, yeah, I'd, I'd done a few stints with um, with Magic Polder. Um, I owe a lot to her and, and her family, her father, um, who yeah. Um, threw a whole bunch of New Zealand gigs my way and then one day he rang up uh, out of the blue and goes, hey, what are you doing next week? And I was going, oh, I don't know, nothing really. Um, do you want to go to LA? I was like, yep, sweet. So just just like that, I, I don't know how this was all going to happen, but um, long story short, he needed someone to go over to LA to play bass for his daughter, Magic, who had um, a f- festival slot at a big festival over in America called Reggae on the River, um, which is one of the longest-serving reggae festivals in the world. Mm-hmm. And the band that she had in America, their bass player couldn't do it. So, you know, so I got that phone call and I went, wow, you know, finally I've, I'm kind of back where I wanted to be. But after that gig, it all kind of dried up. Um, just, you know, just it was nothing continuous. And then Sons of Zion, Dylan Stewart, who was the bass player at the time, he couldn't do a bunch of shows because I think his missus was expecting their babies. Um, so he threw me a few gigs and I was like, man, this is great, you know. But I was always in that full-in role. So um, I did a bunch of shows with Sons, a bunch of shows with Magic. Um, Holly Smith, I did one show with her for Rhythm and Vines and um, 1814, Jimmy Colbert, one of my um, one of my good mates, um, he couldn't do a couple of gigs, so he threw a couple of gigs my way. Power, I don't know if you know Power, up there in Aussie, mm-hmm. um, Brisbane, Gold Coast band. So they just happened to do a New Zealand tour. So all of these bands, what I'm trying to paint a picture of is I knew what I wanted to do, and I was getting these opportunities like like bites on a fishing line. But nothing was sticking. Like, like I'd get them and then I had to give them back. Um, so Power was another one. I, oh, man, that was such a cool tour. They just mm. uh, messaged me one time and says, oh, look, we're doing this New Zealand tour. But their bass player, Jade, um, he couldn't make the tour. So with no rehearsals, <laughs> not one rehearsal, um, I learned all of their stuff and, and we just hit the ground running and it was one of the coolest coolest tours we had. So we're going from complete strangers with half of the band I'd never met to just on a, on a bus for two weeks. And um, <clears throat> and it was awesome. It was awesome. But once again, when it finished, 
no nothing stuck. There was there was no more gigs to look forward to. I was I was looking for the next paycheck, so to say. So um, and then the band called LAB, their bass player, who at the time was R- Rory McCartney, um, they had a bunch of shows coming up. No one knew LAB back then. Um, so I, there I was playing three shows with the boys. I've known that obviously I knew Brad and Stu from back in the day we'd catch a fire and quarter would play together. <clears throat> and I've known Joel for years. Um, we just we used to hang out at jam nights and stuff at the mount. So um yeah, so stuff like that was happening. Um I'm waffling on here, but yeah, so <laughs> once again, three gigs. Keep it up. And it, <laughs> yeah, so I was I oh man, I used to dream I just I was just so like in my mind I was like man I want this so bad I I knew where I wanted to be I knew where I wanted to go but I had no vehicle to get there I had no group to to, to get me where I wanted but I wanted it so bad so it's one of the most frustrating feelings to Mm. to know what you want to do but unsure of what's gonna get me there and and so you're looking for the next oh then I heard Sons of Zion um sorry on another note Dylan left the band and I was like oh finally you know this might be my chance since I've done a few gigs with him um but that didn't eventuate obviously um so it was kind of like man when when is this ever gonna happen so you always question you know you always doubt yourself and and but um what I'm trying to say is that I never lost faith in, in the fact that it would happen. But man, was it hella frustrating for years thinking that, okay, 18, four, I'm an 1814, sweet, this is going to be the thing that, that kicks it off. Nah. Oh, Sons is on, sweet, kicks it. Nah. So everything kind of just, yeah, just never kicked off. Uh, end of 2016, um, <clears throat> I'm going to go off on a tangent again. Hope you don't mind. Not at um, all. There was a project called the Mali New Zealand All Stars, mm-hmm. and I'd seen this the, this um, lineup back in June, and so I saw all of these artists. You know, Annie, oh, no, not Annie on that one. She came later, but anyway, you know, a whole bunch of artists, and I was like, man, how come I wasn't? You know, I would love to be in a part of this, but I knew the reason why I wasn't a part of that because no one knew me. I mean, I was an old bass player from Catch a Fire like 10 years ago. No one's going to remember me or even think of me <clears throat> when it comes to that project. Mm. I find out later that Fran Corder, who's a good friend of mine, was the bass player, and I'm like, wow, that makes a shitload of sense. Dude can, you know, it's a flat-out amazing singer, yeah, and he can flat-out play the bass. So <laughs> yeah. that that makes sense that, that he's the bass player for that project. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so what happened from there on in is that Joel got a part of that project. I wasn't in LAB at the time. Joel was in LAB and got in the project. And the drummer for that project happens to live in Todong as well, Paul Russell. Mm-hmm. He used to play in Supergroove as well as many other bands. Yep. So, yeah, so I said, oh, man, I'll help you guys if you want. You know, we can have a jam and I'll help you guys by playing the bass and those Bob Marley songs that you guys have got to learn because they're not – too familiar with that music, whereas my background with Catch a Fire and playing 40, 50 Bob Marley songs, man, I was ready to go. So, um, <clears throat> so I'm trying to fast forward this on. 
So I had a jam with the boys. That was cool. Wish them all the best of luck. They ended up doing a TV appearance a week before the first show. and Sorry, a week before their first rehearsals and then the first show. Um, they find out that they don't have a bass player because Fran can't or Fran didn't want to play bass and sing lead at the same time. Every other person on their project says, nah, shit, no, I'm not playing reggae bass. Nah, because it's, I don't know the reason why, but they had no bass player. Joel mentioned to um, the promoter, hey, there's a guy in Tauranga, you can catch a fire, he'd be keen as, you don't even have to pay him. <laughs> and he was right. Um, so I got involved with that project by just, just being in the right place, right time. And so I felt like, um, yeah, I'd finally kind of, I've got some traction. I've got some some headway into where I wanted to be. And so, yeah, so that Christmas and, and that I was doing those shows with Marley All-Stars. Oh, God, that was, man, you can cut all this out, bro. This, not at that all. was just no, way not too cut, long. Not cutting anything. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, but, you know, so those, those shows were limited. Those shows were numbered because everyone else was, you know, they had their own bands, whether it was Catch a Fire or Black Seeds or, you know, they, they they were all part of a bigger project, except for me. So there I am again, <laughs> um, you know, just my man, shit, I want this so bad. Um, so what happened next? I won't go into the, the final, final details yep. of how I got into LAB, but the next the next chapter of that story is is the fact that um, <clears throat> I had a meeting with Joel on a Wednesday in March. Mm -hmm. uh, at our local pub <coughs> over a beer. I kind of had an inkling as to what was going to go down just based upon messages leading up to that point. Um, so that was a night. And on Sunday night, I was in Wellington with the boys, with Joel, Brad, mm -hmm. and Shoot. Um, and then, so we got there Sunday night to record first thing Monday morning. And so I wasn't in LAB, but I knew that they needed a bass player. So they were in there to carry on recording their first album. Uh, oh, so the, you, the next so day, you were in, you you were in there as what you thought as a session bass player. Well, I knew they needed a full time bass player. Oh, okay. I I I didn't want to be a session bass player, but I knew if I stuffed that up, <laughs> that it's probably all it would be. Um, it's a pretty, so I treated it's a pretty it really much audition. like a. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it was it was an audition, yeah. and and normally, yeah. you know, I'd kind of um, you do an audition like on a live gig, where this is a studio gig, they're recording their album. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. normally, you've got your band kind of locked in uh, when you when you because they've already recorded, they'd already recorded Starry Eyes and um, I don't uh, oh ain't no use, so they'd yeah. already started the the first album, and then I got in there um, the first day we recorded Jimmy. Um, mm -hmm. But then we actually scrapped it. <clears throat> we, uh, it just wasn't going in the direction that. Oh, it just didn't sound right. Long story short, so I was like, "Damn, shit!" You know, like, man, um, this isn't going well. If, <laughs> if we've just wasted a whole day <laughs> recording, shit. Yeah. Um, you know, because yeah, obviously, I'm just trying to do my best and secure a spot. Yeah. Um, the next yeah. day, Tuesday, we recorded "She's Gone," which is the first track of album one. Yep. And the rest is kind of history. Um, yeah, I remember that recording session quite vividly, and um, 
and and hearing the magic and, and the recording and and the chemistry between because we Joel, Brad, and myself we tracked that live, the whole mm-hmm. song. So yeah, we felt there was a good vibe. There's a good energy in the room, and um, yeah, I knew I'd I'd put my best foot forward to prove that I'm the right person to be in this band. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, so that's man. That was a long story to get to that point, which was the that was kind of when I've became a member, I suppose, of LAB. So was it? You, you should ask them too, because I'm not sure when they what? said. <laughs> <laughs> that no, all good. Was there a conversation conversation had? Like, okay, bro, you're in. You're in the band. Yeah, or was yeah, it, just, it was, or was but it, it just like, oh, turn, turn up, turn up on Monday, do the same thing. It was, yeah, it was like they. Um, it wasn't early in the piece. It was like after the album had been done, and yep. we'd already handed the masters over and and stuff like that. That um, mm. that um. That conversation, there it was said, but it was kind of, there was a feeling of, because I'd already done by that stage live gigs with them. Um, so kind of like a whole year had basically gone by before that was ever verbalized. But right. the feeling was there for quite some time before that. It's like, you know, mm. because because um, the first lot of recordings went so well and then we just got a roll on. We just had a good chemistry when it came time to recording and um, – so yeah, yeah, it just it just happened. We would jam in the studio. We would drink a little bit too much at times in the studio. And obviously, <laughs> you, you know, all your feelings come out when you're drinking. <laughs> and um, but then we, we we would write and record, and and yeah, just it was just it was just a perfect fit um, between what they needed and what I wanted. And no, that's all, that's yeah, all. finally, finally, yeah. you know, that, that, that moment of going. You know, so that was in 2017, 17, yep. and um, so f- it took five years to get from yep. that point of knowing, oh, I want to play bass, to finally finding my the the vehicle that's Your vehicle, yeah, provide me, yep, well yeah. Mm. And you know, from 2017 to now has been quite the quite the quite um, the ride, quite the rocket ship. Pardon the pun. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, um, and it's been three yeah. albums and three three albums in three years. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about the processes of the album. I, I, I did speak a bit to Joel and Brad about mm. um, when I first spoke. When I spoke to, when Josh and I spoke to Joel, you guys had just come back from your first week of recording LAB three. When I spoke oh, right. with yeah, when I spoke with Brad, um, Persona Five had just come out. The album hadn't come out. Oh, right. I think think that was September. I think yeah. And then talking to you now, of course, the album's out and there's been a bunch of touring and yeah. So when when I was talking to Brad, he, he mm-hmm. said that you 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 were like the the nighttime guy. Um, there was an engineer in there during the day, he'd finish off and then you'd come and do your thing. So what was, yeah. Yeah. What was your, what was your role there? Were you coming in and, and like comping takes and that kind of thing? Or were you coming in and, and playing your parts or just cr- creating things or? I initially, I, I just learned enough and, and really I'm, I'm in, 
I'm no Pro Tools guy, um, but I, I learned enough to be able to still carry on our recording sessions when okay. Lee Preble, the owner of the studio, so when he goes yeah. home at six, we can still function and we can still record and we can still lay down ideas. And yeah, so we'll do we'll do whatever's required really um, in terms of, um, you know, any, any recordings and stuff. So uh, yeah, I would just watch and learn and, and ask a million questions to Lee as to, oh, you know, how does this work in the patch bay? And, oh, do you use that compressor? And what's your settings? And all that boring engineer stuff, which I absolutely love. And most people would put them to would put them to sleep. Um, and the other kind of role I did, which Brad would allowed me to do, like um, it let, let me just kind of screw around and play around with ideas and and often while the mm-hmm. boys were sleeping I would I would always have ideas but didn't want to um put them down on 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 recording while the guys were awake in case they were really shit yeah. ideas because you know <laughs> yeah, more times than not they probably were shit um so yeah. in the second album especially I got to experiment with a whole bunch of ideas and and plugins and and just just explore um the, yeah, just explore these ideas. Um, and Brad was cool with letting me do that because he he's the, the main producer of all the all the albums. And if it sounded good, he would keep them. And if they sounded shit, he would scrap them. And more often than not, a lot of what I thought was a good idea either was kept or it led to what would become the final version of the song. You know, just I'm only talking little things like – um, what Brad would put together would be 80, 90% of the song, but then I would come along and, um, yeah, have some fun and, and just try and put the icing on the cake, so to say. Um, it's, yeah, hopefully the best way I can yeah, explain it. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Um, for me, I think with LAB3, I think the electric bass, your electric bass playing is more... Um, predominant in those uh, in that album than the first two. I believe this is what I can hear. Um, did you go into the third album thinking a different way about how you're going to play the bass on that on that album on on how you're going to play these songs? Not at all. So without with album number three, um, there's no Moog bass. There's no synth bass. Whereas on album two and on album one, there was, you know, I'd never touched a Moog bass before album one in my life. So when I touched this, this instrument, I was like, oh, my God, there's Zap Roger. There's, you know, there, there's all these bass sounds that I've grown up with. So I was, I was exploring that, that world of bass sounds that, um, that um, I grew up with as a kid. Um, so what I'm trying to say, so in album two, that was kind of another, um, with Fashion Dread especially, there was, um, you know, a lot of Moog work. And I'm no bass player, I mean, oh, so I'm no, no, no synth player. Um, I'm just a bass player whacking away on these keys. And it was hella fun. It was hella fun. With the third album, it was just a complete blank slate, just what was needed for the songs. Because we went in there pretty much, actually, I can't even remember. I don't think there's one song, oh, sorry, only Heat. Heat was the only song where we kind of had the seed of the song um, prior to actually um, putting it down on on um, on recording, every other song was just written in the studio at the time, and the songs that we were we were writing required electric bass guitar and 
yeah. So it, it pretty much chose itself. Um, it was not that that we had a conscious thought to not do the Moog. It was just more of a, oh, man, this song's sounding like this and we're going to take it in that direction, so therefore I'll grab this bass. Because I used um, yeah, three basses, I think, on that on that album. So, yeah. Okay. Um, what were those three basses? So you, you've got a you got a Sadowski. Oh yeah, that's my main yeah. live bass. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Uh, um, my number one kind of recording studio bass uh, is my Steinberger uh, um, bass. Um, so all the reggae stuff, um, a lot of album one has uh, got yeah, it just records so good. It's got flat wound strings on it from when I was playing it in Catcher Fire. Still, so mm-hmm. the strings must be about 15 years old. Um, Steinberger basses sound so thick, yet it still cuts through the mix. It's kind of a weird, weird to be able to have both of those characteristics. Um, so yeah, but when it comes to reggae stuff, uh, man, that is that is my number one bass. Um, so yeah, love reggae songs on that one. I used the 73 Fender Jazz. Uh, with flat rounds again. Um, so that's what I did like in the year. All of those real 70s nostalgia type tracks like Lover Jane, um, where it had that real, yeah, like I said, old school throwback. I use that bass because shit, that's a 1973 jazz. And that's what musicians of that era were recording with. So um, it just made, well, it just made sense to me to use that bass. And then my main live bass, I would play that for a few tracks, uh, which is a five-string Sadowski, which is, um, yeah, it's, it's such a good bass. Um, yeah. And <clears throat> I don't I don't take the other two basses on the road. In fact, they're still in the studio now. I left them there after album three because we knew we were going back for album four. So I just left them at the studio and said to Lee, go nuts, bro. Use them if, you know, you need to use them for any other acts coming through and yeah. So that's my base geek talk right there. <laughs> yeah. I've got a lot of bass player listeners and I'm oh, a bit of a bass player, but not, not much. <laughs> um, no, I see that bass right, is hanging behind you. <clears throat> oh, yeah, that's my that's my jazz. That's my jazz bass. Um, oh, cool. Right, let's talk a little bit about um, touring of album three. Mm-hmm. Or maybe, sorry, before that, when LAB3 dropped, how was the initial reaction um, and what was the expectation? Was I mean, I know there was would have been a fair bit of hype because um, um, LAB2 LAB was pretty – LAB2 was pretty cool. Um, I know me and the bros here, we were really looking forward to it and it definitely didn't disappoint. Yeah, so how Thanks, was the bro. vibe in, in, in New Zealand when it dropped? Yeah, it, it – um, it was crazy. It was crazy. It's, it's real humbling because um, what we do prior to releasing, dropping the album, you've probably seen that we do those live in studio recordings, yeah, um, yeah. RNZ videos. Yep. So that's become a thing now that we kind of go there the week of or, you know, not long before we drop the whole album. And then, yeah, it's just become a thing now. Um, so... The, the the reaction to those videos and 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 those new songs that people haven't heard it was was really was really humbling. Um, I think the first song that we released was in the year before. In oh man, I'm, 
our brain's a little bit sketchy, but I'm not sure what came out first, the live recording or the official video for In The Ear. And this is prior to the album dropping. Mm. So, um, but the the Radio New Zealand, the, the live one I'm talking about in studio, got so much, oh yeah, I, was in, I, was in, I wasn't even in the country. <laughs> I remember that now. Right. Um, it got so much traction and, and feedback. Um, yeah, it's real humbling, bro. Um, I, I, I try not to, um, oh, no. I don't know, I get a little bit kerfuffled with my words when it comes to um, talking about our music and stuff just because um, it's... Well, ah, you're proud. You're humbling. proud of it, bro. You should. You should be. Like, it's it's awesome. <laughs> Straight up. It's just yeah. It's just it's bloody uh, good music. Appreciate it, bro. Um, we didn't really. We 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 were proud of the album. I know that we. Were, I was super proud of the album. <clears throat> In terms of expectations, we just wanted it to just be liked, I suppose, or or yep. have our fan base, who you know, from album one and album two, go, oh man. This is cool. We like album three as much as we like album one and album two. That was my expectation. Mm. The reality, though, is that it's just gone way beyond that. Like it's, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. The the numbers and the stats show that a lot more people are, are, are listening, and and yeah, it's it's crazy. It's really crazy and mm. humbling and all that kind of stuff that I've said a thousand times. So, um, mm. Yeah. Didn't really have any expectation other than to just the only expectation I would have was that I just wanted us to just grow and be and um and what am I trying to say? Um just there's potential within this band. We haven't reached the potential yet. Yeah. So I just wanted the album three to be the next step in that in that journey. Yep. Um like I still believe we haven't written our best song yet. And mm-hmm. and I still think that that we've got a better album in us. Um, yeah, and is album three a, a step in the right direction based on what you've heard in album one and two? Mm-hmm. Um, well, you know, every listener can have their, their opinion on that, but <clears throat> internally, <clears throat> excuse me, um, we're real proud of the sound and, and, and the music that was on album three. It burnt us out, yep. man. We were, we were so mentally fatigued and drained after finishing that that album, um, yeah, it was we couldn't listen to that album for like a month <laughs> after it had been been finished because of just how many how much blood, sweat, and tears and 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 your mental energy goes into making it just right. Yeah, but no, hugely satisfied and, and proud of of that album, bro. Is album four coming? Mm. Yeah. Yep, yep. We go into the studio. It's the third of March. We're in there on the thirty first of March. So twenty eight days, uh, four weeks. We will be in studio with no idea of what we're going to do. We're yep. going to turn up. <laughs> we're going to get Uber Eats, or Joel's yep. going to cook a mean feed because he loves to cook and I love to eat. And we are just frothing at the bit to get in there, um, mm-hmm. but we don't know what's going to happen. And that that. It's huge excitement and, and and it's quite dangerous if you know what I mean. Like, man, mm. going into a studio to record an album and you don't even know we haven't we don't know what's going to happen. And that that's what I love about this band is that we can um, we could just take a spark in whatever direction Brad wants to take the the idea in, and then we all just jump on it and um, stoke the fire, press record, 
go home at the end of the week going, man, where did that come from? <laughs> That's one of my favorite favorite things. And will that? But it'll be it should be out the end yeah. of the year. Sorry, the end of the year again. See, so it's four albums, four yeah. years. Yeah, man, awesome. Yeah, yeah, can't wait. Yeah, let's talk a little bit again about. Well, we'll go back and talk about your live shows, um, the touring. Mm-hmm. It must feel pretty, pretty satisfying now, and humbling too, of course. To you know, like this um, run of Australian shows you got coming up. We did talk about this early on. How a lot of them have mm-hmm. sold out already. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it must be a pretty cool feeling knowing that you can drop a show here and there. And I noticed that you guys are you're playing a show up at um, Power Station and also yeah in in Hamilton. In Hamilton. Yep. Yeah. Um, no doubt those shows will probably sell out. Um, oh, I, yeah. Um, yeah. I hope so. Um, yeah. But yeah. 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 The the response be- on on social media of those two shows has been yeah so crazy. It's when mm-hmm. I heard that we were going to release shows today on like on our messenger thread, I went oh shit, you know here comes <laughs> um, you know just the the all the messages and and you were cool because we were messaging about this, yeah, but yeah, I knew yeah. that it was just I get so many messages I actually can't I can't keep up, and I'm yeah. just the bass player in the band, so I'd yeah. hate to see what Joel's. And Brad's messenger box looks like because, um, yeah, it would be you'd need a full time person. Now they call you, um, Mr. Gadget. Oh, do they? Yeah, is that from Brad or Joel? Is it? (laughs) Yeah, that was that was Joel. (laughs) Why do they call you Mr. Gadget? Ah, I I I like I like gadgets. I like I like thinking of the most. I like seeing a problem and I love solution solving. Yep. Yep. I, I, I love to solve, no, not solution solving, problem solving. <clears throat> so, and I often do that with, um, oh man, if we just bought this bit of gear and we hooked it up yeah. to that bit of gear and then that would be able to do all of these things that, you know, and Joel is, I would call him the opposite. He's the purist. So yeah. he's all about guitar, lead and amp. Yeah, whereas I would be, oh. I could grab this bass and that MPC and this Ableton product <laughs> and that synth and and you know we can we can wire it all up and and man if I showed you yeah um, so that that's me and and somehow we find a balance between his world and my world um, <laughs> to keep each other happy yeah <clears throat> um, but yeah so it, it, once again that's just the the music geek and me coming out wanting to explore. Um, yeah, just, just, it's just, yeah, <laughs> just mm. having a good tattoo, bro. I just yeah. love, love gadgets and gears and spending way too much money and owning way too much gear that doesn't get used enough. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Can you give us a rundown on what your first live LAB rig was and compare it to what it is now? <laughs> yep. Um, it was my Sadowski five string bass. Yep. With a lead into the amp. Yep. <laughs> that would that have been it. it. That was that um, was the purest udder. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. That yep. was that was me still just trying to make sure that I don't get fired from a band that I really don't want to get fired <laughs> from. So I better play it safe. Um and now my my setup is I've got a an MPC. Um which we use to trigger some backing tracks for certain songs or one drops. Um yep. 
I've got a profit synth bass, which is is not not even mine. Um, it's Brad's or LAB's. It was bought before I was in the band. Um, and that thing is a beast of a synth. I used to take my Moog on the road, <clears throat> but we realized that, oh, man, we're taking way too much synths. I'm not even a synth player, but but yeah. So we've I've reduced my rig. Um, and my pedal board has got three pedals. <laughs> there used to be a lot more, trust me. Um, so it's just my wireless unit going into uh, my preamp. No, what is it? I don't even know. My pedal board. I've only got three <laughs> pedals and I can't even remember them. And uh, an Octave. Sorry, a wireless unit, a preamp, and an Octave. Um, mm-hmm. I do want to expand on that a little bit. Um, but I have downsized it to what it has been. Man, I used to have an Ableton setup. I used to have multiple bass synths. I used to have an MPC X, which if I'm not sure if you know, but it's a big, it's the biggest yep. MPC you can get. So yep. it, was, yep. it was a big footprint. Um, multiple bases. It was overkill. It was just like, <laughs> man. And it would stress the hell out of me trying to set it all up in order to do, to play the gig because, you know, um, yeah. Ah, yeah, the days. We, yeah, and I'd <laughs> use my Moog to be the controller for Ableton. And, oh, it was, right. it, was, it worked. Everything always worked eventually. But the amount of gray hairs I, I got to try and make it all work under a pressure situation of a gig was um did my head in so it simplified simplified a lot more now and a lot more robust than what it used to be. Yep. Would a bit of that bit of it being simplified, would that be the fact that me huddles in the band now taking up from some of those <clears throat> playing some of those parts yeah. that you would uh actually no um for me I, I I'm I'm just taking care of the bass frequencies, you know, the bass side of things. So um, so whether it was on a bass guitar or bass synth, um, it, it was irrelevant. I was still I still had that role. Me Huddle coming on board though has been has been such a an awesome thing for us uh in the band and yeah it's it's he's an awesome guy to have on the road as well. So um he's a funny ass dude, dry ass humor. Um but you know he's cool. He's cool. And yeah, what what? Oh, having me huddle in the band—I know you didn't ask—but uh, having me huddle in the band has allowed us to have someone who's a real good lead or keyboardist because yep. jo- and that kind of off, offsets with Joel being a lead guitarist. Because um, Stu's strengths, in my opinion, Stu's strengths is man—he is the rhythm king, you know. So he he won't outsolo you on any given instrument, but we call him Stu the glue. And by that he is he just glues all the parts. He's the rhythm, rhythm master, that fella. So um yeah, we can allow Mihoto and Joel to take on the lead parts when it's required. And Joel's just uh Stu's just in the pocket the whole time. Yeah, that's massive, man. Um, Ada, it's been an absolute honor to talk to you today, man. Um you're a real humble guy and and you like I said earlier, you didn't think what you had to say would people would want to listen, but I guarantee uh, they do. And I'm glad we've done this. Um, uh, I can't, I can't wait for May to catch you fellas in Sydney. Yeah, right. Catch up again, and yeah, man, really can't wait. It's going to be awesome. I uh, appreciate you having me on here, and 
you know, to the two listeners that might actually listen to this whole thing. I appreciate you both. <laughs> One of them is probably my missus. Um, no, um, no, no, on a north And, and, the, and, and the, the other one's me when I edit it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Both of you. No. I'll, I'll remember no. you in the Grammys. No. Uh, no, no, just, just that, that. Thanks for just even, yeah, just even having a talk. Um, obviously, I can... I can talk about anything uh, in regards to, to my music journey quite easily. Yep. So um, yep. I appreciate great, you yeah. just even having an interest. So we'll see you in May in the green room with a, with a beer. Looking forward to it, brother. All right, bro. Look after yourself. Um, yep. See you soon. See you, brother. Thank you, bro. See you, Ada. Thanks, brother. Now it's over here